This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. This is so exciting. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Den Talks Live, another panel, or All the Feels panel, with these amazing human beings. I am so honored to be up here. Every single one of these people has already done an episode on their own, so if you haven't heard it, go back and listen, because they are incredible. And we have Ryan Weiss, Emily Morse, John Wyland, all incredible. What I love about this is we really get to talk about sex and intimacy from so many different angles. No pun intended, <laughs> that one's for you. <laughs> um, and I think you're all gonna leave here no matter what with a way to actually ponder and think for yourself, ways you can either approach your relationship differently or if you're looking for a relationship, how you can go after what you actually need and frankly, just your day-to-day -day life. How are you thinking about yourself in ways, I think they all talk about things in such an incredible way. There's gonna be a lot of introspection afterwards. So like always with these panels, what's amazing about them is we do a Q&A afterwards. So you get specific time for specific questions. We're gonna start with a nice grounding meditation from Ryan Weiss, just a short one, and John Wineland is gonna end with a personal practice for us. Um, and then we'll do our Q&A. There's also a raffle, I think you all know, we do awesome giveaways. So we have some really cool stuff. We have three magic wands being given away, so some fun little toys, little sex toys. We have, speaking of threes, we also have three coaching sessions with Ryan that's also gonna be given away, and also a membership for this incredible new virtual series that's gonna be a monthly series that John Wineland is doing that launches next month. So I mean, these are amazing. So just by being here alone, you have a chance to get these incredible prizes. So for those of you listening at home, this is a reason you need to come. So, and like always, there's gonna be drinks and bites at the end so we can socialize and have a good time, and we love this community, so we're so excited to chat. So let's get into it. Ryan, do you mind just doing like a three-minute grounder for us or something? I guess. <laughs> okay, you all comfortable? Nice to see you all. All right, so let's just close our eyes. Let's just take a collective deep breath in through our nose and let it out of your mouth. Beautiful. Let's do that again. Deep, 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 deep inhale. Hold that breath for a moment. Feels a little uncomfortable. Notice if there's any tension in the body, in the face, and on the exhalation, we're gonna let it all go on the exhale. One more, just like that. Deep breath. Fill up the heart, fill up the belly. Roll the shoulders down the backs, relax the face, and exhale. And relax your breathing. beginning to feel into the place where your body meets the floor beneath you. So sense the weight of your body just falling into the floor. And also see if you can sense the weight of the floor pressing up into you, holding you, allowing you to let go, no need to hold on, 
See if you can sense into an entire planet holding you, pressing up into you right now. Holding this building, holding each one of us, and knowing that this immense support is holding you right now. Let's take one more deep breath in. Hold that breath. Again, feel into the support, the entire planet holding you and let every muscle, tissue, ligament go as you exhale. Yes, 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 yes. Relaxing your breathing one more time. Take a moment, take your hand and place it over your heart. Sense into the vitality, the electricity that moves through you. Maybe you can even feel this pulsing of your heart. I just want you to think the thought for a moment. I'm alive. I'm alive. Wow. My heart is beating. My lungs are breathing. 50 trillion cells are moving inside my body. I'm alive. What a gift. So all together, on the count of three, we're all gonna say together, holy shit, I'm alive. Ready, one, two, three. Holy, holy shit, shit, I'm alive. Take a deep breath. And exhale. Blink your eyes open. All right, let's get into it. Um, I want to just kind of start with like a general intimacy question, because that's what we're here for. And obviously, intimacy comes on so many levels. Do we think, I kind of want to talk in a more global idea of, I feel like so many of us have not been taught intimacy. When we grow up, we're not taught it. Do we feel like there's something of the fact that so many of us are only learning it in a sexual realm, that it is affecting us kind of in a bigger way? Whoever wants to start, this is for all of you. Yeah, well, we weren't taught intimacy. In fact, we were probably taught anti-intimacy from our parents, you know, unless you were raised with them, two of the most loving and in love people on the planet. And <laughs> Raise even your then, hand. Even then, they probably fucked you up, you know? And so a lot of what we're doing is unwinding uh, 30, 40, 20, 30, 40 years of nervous system habits um, closures in reaction to fears of intimacy and those closures are literally physical they're in our body mind so they're psycho-emotional and they're physical and unwinding that takes practice takes meditative practice takes yogic practice so yeah I, I think we're at this point in history where 
people are hung, people are recognizing that because we don't need to be together the way we did 50, 100, 200 years ago. We don't need each other for procreation. We don't need each other. Women don't need men for security. And so, yeah, we're asking what makes the most beautiful art in intimacy? I mean, I think that int intimacy is something that's also really misunderstood, but it's like the thing that I think a lot of us crave, especially when we talk about sex. You can have sex and not the intimacy. You know, you can have sex and feel very disconnected from someone. So a lot of that groundwork for intimacy, I think, has to come from the fact that a lot of us are just terrified about being vulnerable and showing who we truly are. And when we do that with something, like that is what intimacy is. I think that that helps with every other kind of sexual connection that you have with someone. But I think we also think of it as, sometimes we can have sex with something, like I'm saying, and not be intimate, but then also like even just hand-holding and kissing and touching, a lot of times in relationships, we think we're craving sex, but we're actually craving intimacy, which is like connection with someone that we feel safe with and comfortable with. And I think it's, um, it still is fairly new for people to understand the difference between, well, we have sex, but we're not intimate. And what is it that I'm craving? And I think since there is a loneliness epidemic and a lot of us are a lot more isolated and on our phones that we're experiencing this confusion right now between isolated and craving connection. What do you guys think about intimacy as far as not even within a relationship that way? Intimacy in the world in general, do you feel like we don't practice it with our own friends, our families? Like, is there an element of that missing too that then also affects us within our relationships? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, the, if you think about the opposite of intimacy, it's kind of this um, persona that we put forward. Right, the person that we learn to believe to believe that we are, right, the person we're pretending to be, mostly informed by the trauma we experienced as a child, in the ways we protect ourselves. And so I've got this personality, this pseudo personality that I'm pretending to be, right. If you listen to Eckhart Tolle, you hear about the pain body, this like emotional um, baggage that hasn't been processed. And then you have yours, and oftentimes it's like ego on ego, trying to relate with each other. And intimacy is actually peeling those layers back so that we can be with each other in our core. And it's scary to let that deeper part of ourselves actually be seen, right? Because we actually don't want to see the deeper parts of ourselves. We don't like to look at the deeper parts of ourselves where we're not perfect, where we have self-hatred, self-disgust, right? The things that we do behind closed doors we don't anyone, want anyone to see, right? You guys have stuff like that? You just keep in your own little secret hidden space. And then when you talk about romantic relationship or intimate relationship and you start living with that person and you start building life with that person and talking about money and kids and these, we start to have to show those, those things. We can't hide as much. And that tends to do one of two things. Either we get a great therapist and we learn to work through it and we work with great experts and we learn that the places where we're tempted to separate from each other are actually the places that we learn to be loved in the places that we've been trying to hide or they tear us apart because we haven't developed the tools to deal with them. And that's where projection and shame and come in. Yeah, that's, that's I think, the real um, tragedy, is that most people are, are really trying to hide these things. I see this a lot in women, neediness, or he can't, I can't show him my needy side, right? And actually, the, th the areas of our hearts that are the most tender that we hide are actually the areas that, when revealed artfully, create the deepest connection and the most turn-on, right? Uh, I mean, we, we want to fuck each other as deeply as possible, and so if you're withholding a part of your heart, 
that is really the most beautiful, chewy, tender, human part of your heart. It's you're, you're cutting off part of not only your intimacy, but your sexual intimacy. You're cutting it off um, and creating a disconnection rather than, a, rather than giving your need for another as a gift. That actually brings me into my next question, which I want all of you to answer, because you said doing it artfully. What do you think the biggest mistake we all make when we think we're being effective communicators? <laughs> right? <laughs> We've all been there. Oh my god. I mean, there's like a skill set to learning to, to be a good communicator. Yeah, he used the word artfully, which yeah. I thought it was... It has to be artful or co-creating conversation. I used to think I was a great communicator, but it turns out I'm a great talker. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't. I was like, I can talk to anybody. That's not the same thing. But actually learning to be a good communicator in a relationship, to listen, to reflect back what you're hearing, um, to actually like pay attention, to revisit conversations. Don't think that just because you have a conversation once, you've solved everything. So the art of communication is, is, is real in a relationship, and it's actually the foundation for everything. If you create a healthy way to communicate, and you're doing it in ways where you don't have the walls up of insecurities and your vulnerabilities are out there, that's where the magic happens. And I think pre-communication, there's a process, right? Before you come to have a conversation about whatever's triggering you, whatever's going on with you, there has to be a learned process of um, how to sit with my emotional life, right? Like, what am I feeling? Because typically when we have an issue with someone, we bring the, we're talking like on the surface of the issue and, we're for, and then that's where projection comes in, right? Like I'm looking at my partner right now. We were driving over here today and like he was driving my car and I was stressed that we were gonna be late and I was listening, literally driving to speak on a relationship panel and I was thinking in my head, why is he fucking driving so fucking slow right now? Like can't he just like, he normally drives like a bat out of hell. Like is he, does, what does he have against me? Why isn't he getting me here on time? Like these were the thoughts that were legit going through my head. And I noticed that moment, you know, where I was about to be like, can you just drive faster? And thank God I'm in some kind of a daily, consistent, regular practice that I took a moment and was like, whoa, what am I feeling right now? Right? Turns out when I checked in, I was feeling shame that I was late. I was feeling like I was letting you down. I felt like I was letting a panel down. I was hearing that voice in my mom's head that like, I never do anything right, right? Like, all of that was coming up in that moment. And so when I, so what did I say instead of, you know, why are you driving so slow? Instead, I just turned to Ori and I said, ah, I'm really feeling shame that I'm late right now. And I had this moment of like, that's communication, right? It was about me, but before I could realize that it was about me, I had to do the inner work before I brought it into a conversation with him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so crucial. That's such a beautiful example because that's magnetic. Going for the deepest, most of us, I think the biggest problem in communication is that it's, we lack awareness, like Ryan just talked about, the awareness to feel beyond the complaint, beyond even the desire to be on time, to feel what's truly underneath. And then to, so you need the awareness, meditation, 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 meditation. Um, and meditation, yeah, meditation, and practice, meditation, and practice. meditation. You need the awareness to be able to feel that. And then you also need um, the nervous system capacity to actually communicate it. And the other issue I think that's so important in communication is, you know, 90% of our communication is nonverbal. So you could be communicating something out of your mouth, but if your body's closed and tense, they're not going to feel it. And, and so awareness is uh, the first thing I would say. 
and then the capacity to relax through revealing the true feelings in your heart is another, I would consider it a yogic practice. Can you talk a little bit more about the physical communication that you were just alluding to? Because I know even in our podcast, you also spoke about moments to get someone's attention that were actually kind of dramatic and extreme, which I think most of us would not naturally go to. So can you actually expand on that a little bit? Well, I think, I think in general, what I hear from people is that they want more. Like they want more of their partner's hearts. They want more of their partner's truths. They want more of the deep, beautiful, intimate, tender parts of their partner. And so the, the, the more that we can reveal those things to each other, the better we tend to do in terms of being magnetic for each other because that kind of revealing is magnetic. Um, imagine where he heard that and was like, oh, like maybe even physically leaned in. And I see that all the time. There's like, oh, like, okay, I feel it. Because it's magnetic versus the, fuck, we're late, we're gonna be late. You know, that's repellent. And just that capacity to be with your own emotions and let your body relaxedly express that, that's, that's great fucking practice in my opinion. And that's actually really hard since we carry our emotions in every cell of our being. Yeah. So to actually, you know, it's already hard to do what you were saying, which is already difficult, but to take that moment and kind of process it. But then to overcome the physical, I feel like is even more difficult. And so you're, and I know you guys are saying meditation, like what do you think helps with that? Breath too. I mean, I think that here's the thing. Like, I love everything that John talks about. And that you're you're a coach and you help people. And John helps men and women. And I I met John. We spoke on a panel. While I was like, yes, what John is saying. And I'm like, but we have to figure out a way to explain it because it's this is the problem. And then, but most people experience it as, and I know you help people. With this is like, I want sex more than my partner. They don't want it, or I'm never turned on anymore, and they don't listen to what I want. And, you know, she never does the dishes and he's doing that. And there's all these resentments. And then to say, but you guys need to breathe together and just understand the energy and be vulnerable and be open while it works. And he's absolutely right. How do you, you bridge that when you're just having people who are, who are like coming and saying, and this is what I'm trying to break down because I always want John. I'm always like, John, we got to get it. So people get it. They haven't heard. And we're all meditating. You know, I guess we're all meditators or part of it, but it's like, because we're, you know, the part of it is that women were so afraid of being, and with the whole masculine and feminine, a lot of us, we are so afraid of being rejected and seeming needy. So we like play cool girl, we got it all going on, and we're in our masculine, but yet we so badly want to be loved and worshiped by a man. And he wants the same thing too, yeah. but it never seems to work out. Well, there's a th the, proce the process. I don't think it's as hard. I don't think it's that hard. I think saying. people keep saying it's that hard, but there's a complaint. Underneath the complaint, there's a desire. Underneath the desire, there's a emotion about not having that desire met. And and if and if people can just start thinking, okay, I want to complain. What do I want? And then what are my feelings around not getting what I want? And then I communicate that. Just learning to do that to me is a very is a very artful. I would consider it communication practice. But yes, of course, nobody. This, no, this goes to well, the original the question. Thing. Nobody's taught this. To, right? We're not taught it Nobody's at taught all. It. We're not yeah. taught in the workplace with That's our friends. And back to intimacy. Like I think the friends that I have, my people in my life that are the most friends, family are like the ones that they're literally like. I am my authentic self with them. I don't hide anything. They know. Who I, and that's a process in life. When you, the more comfortable you get with who you are, and then you talk about everything on the every day for 10 hours, you have nothing to hide, and you are yourself mostly, but really knowing that someone can accept you and love you in that way. 
And I think though the thing, the challenge with couples is like, and in my level, like I have people calling in, I'm not meeting with people necessarily one-on-one, -on -one, but it's like that typical thing like, my partner, I want to go, to go to therapy and they won't. Or I want to help and they won't even come over to my side. Where ultimately I know we got people sitting together, breathing together, understanding that all the stuff they're fighting about is really just about their childhood wounds and blocks and things they're carrying around. It would be so great. And how do you, you know, getting people to do the work. Well, it's like, sorry, and because you're almost saying something which is interesting where it's like you guys sometimes work with people a lot together. So in some ways, you're already one step ahead because there's a willingness. Yeah. And you're talking about how do you get people who one partner might not even be yeah. there or open. They don't want to do the journey. They haven't made the journey from Which I think is an amazing question. And then I want to get back to what you were saying a thousand percent. Um, because I, a question I had when you guys were all speaking was, how do you deal with the reception side of things? So if someone is communicating like Ryan, but Ryan did it so beautifully and so eloquently, but let's say they're not quite there yet, which most of us aren't, right? So you're communicating, and we think we're being really effective and kind and sweet, but whatever you're saying is still triggering the person on the other side, even though I hate that word, but we all know what we mean. So whether it's even just, I'd love more sex, and for some reason that person's taking it as an insult, or if it is, I just wanna go to therapy and that person's taking it as an insult, what are the cues and the things to do on that side? Like what can, I, right, we've all been there, I've been there. I know sometimes you hear something super innocent and like you feel your whole body, you're taking it weirdly personally. What can you do on that flip side too? Like when the sides aren't as equally present and ready to do the work, how can you help that situation? Yeah, and there might be some more practical kind of step-by-steps yeah. steps here that I think that I'm actually not gonna share right now um, <laughs> that you guys might bring in. Um, but I just wanna call a little bullshit on this because I think there's a lot of people who say they're actually doing the work, myself included, yeah. who actually aren't really doing the work. Mm -hmm. Like how many people in this room are meditators? And how many people actually meditate every single day without a doubt, without fail? Like 75% of the hands went down. And, I'm, and I should put mine down too. So there's a part of like, Right, it's, it, yeah, so we, so there's this line in A Course in Miracles that says the ego is the first thing that loves to talk about all this spiritual practice and all this wellness <laughs> practice. And it's, it will like go to our lunch with our friends and talk about how well we're doing with our meditation and how we wanna be doing da 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 da, -da. but the ego is the last thing that will actually do the practice. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we front as if we're really doing the work and I know this cause my, like I'm calling bullshit on myself too. And I, not actually doing the practice. Mm. So I'm not actually, if I'm not actually meditating, if I'm not actually doing my journaling in the morning, if I'm not actually doing my breathwork practice, if I'm not actually, whatever it is, seeing my therapist, um, I just will not experience the benefits of that. And it's a weird world because we feel like we're doing the work, but we really have to call ourselves out and say, am I really doing the deepest work I can possibly do so that in the moment, right, it's like, in the moment that the trigger is happening, am I bringing to that moment a whole lot of unprocessed emotions? Am I bringing to that moment like a tank that's filled with all the stuff I've been stuffing down? So in that moment, I don't even know how to deal. Mm. Or when I woke up that morning and I did my morning practice and I did my journaling and I did my meditation, I let some of that steam out so that when I come to that trigger moment, I might just find a little softness. Like I might be able to realize that I'm spinning out, right? Yeah, I think, I, I also think to go to get to your question around that, I, 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 we're always evoking, you know, I believe that we live on a polarity planet and so we're always going to be evoking in our, in our environment 
in our um, relationship. And, and the receptivity piece, you can always tell how your practice is, how deep your practice is by looking at how tense your partner is. And if you can see like, oh, I'm actually putting tension in their body by the way that I'm being, and I could soften my heart. I can like relax the back of my heart. I can take a few deep breaths. And, 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 and I, you don't have to actually breathe together. If you just fucking breathe, the whole relationship will change. I do, but, but it's not that woo-woo. It's not that woo-woo. Yeah, it's like if you just fucking take John, a few breaths, motherfucker, then John's I'll feel better. Woo-woo. John yeah. is not woo-woo. But I just always, I think what he says is powerful that I want people to, I always want to bring it down so they get it. You're right. It's when we change our energy, their energy could respond to that. Yes. We and don't know, even if you're evoking. breathing separately. Yeah. And Hopefully it may you're always take breathing because then you die, but you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. Just be breathing throughout. Right. It may not happen immediately, right? I see this a lot with my coaching clients. It's like they have this expectation that they changed their way of communicating or they, they've started yeah. meditating, they've started their practice, and they're not seeing this immediate response that shifts in their partner. And I'm like, yo, like give it time. Be patient. Let it have some time because they're going to have to find a new way of of, of approaching you now that you're kind of shifting how you're coming into the relationship. Mm. You gotta be patient. We are such immature beings, all of us, as a species. Yeah. Really, if you look at all of existence <clears throat> and how long we have been an advanced species, it's like two, I think it's two midnight, minutes to midnight if you look on a clock, does that make sense? So 24 hour clock represents how long life has been on this planet. We've been here for two minutes. And we're having a conversation right now trying to navigate the intricacies of intimate relationship and how to respect each other and how to be intimate with each other. It's like we also have to be kind and patient to realize we are very young as a species trying to figure this stuff out. So you gotta be kind, you gotta be patient, you gotta like nurture yourself through the difficult kind of growing that we're doing. Yeah, and I think the point that I, I would bounce off of that is, is if we have um, volatile and antagonistic relationships with our own broken hearts, because we all have broken hearts in some form or fashion. If we're hating on ourselves, if we hate the part of ourselves that hates ourselves, if we hate the part of ourselves that's needy, if we hate the part of ourselves that's afraid, guess what we're going to evoke from our environment or our partner? We're going to evoke the same kind of scenario where they are not loving the part of us that we're not loving. So one of the things that I think is kind of is a practical approach is how do you create that relationship with yourself that is, um, as Jogim Trumpa would talk about, is, is unconditionally friendly to the parts of yourself that you want to hide, right? the parts of yourself you want to avoid. I love that. I mean, that's like when I said we'll all have a takeaway. I mean, yeah. just that to be able to be kinder to yourself will yeah. change everything in your life, not just sex and your relationships. Well, yeah, I want to add, I mean, that is a... Great point in the sense of we often have this notion that we that we are a half person like searching for someone a whole like you know that you complete me. And the truth is the work that you have to do, like the journey, a lot of that great work is done on your own. And so when you get to a place where you truly love yourself, like in this there's always challenges, right? But like it's like this self-love, you've worked out the stuff, you understand your patterns, and sometimes we don't bemoan the bad relationships. We learn from every relationship. And then you get to a place where you understand your wounds, you love those parts, you accept it. Then you're much more likely to attract someone else who's done that work. So you're attracting the whole person, not to like fill up your half. And so I think that that's a big part of it because when you're, when you're let's say you're single looking for someone also, or even, a, yeah, if you're, it's like 
the, the patterns, maybe you kept dating people that weren't emotionally available and that weren't showing up for you. Like, why does this keep happening to me? It's like, common denominator, you. And then once you get in it, you're like, oh, these might, but once you get healthy, learn it, meaning, loving yourself, meditate, do all the things, that won't even be attracted to you anymore. Like that person could walk in the room and you'd be like, not even interesting. Because you could feel it. Like that energy, the toxicity or whatever it is doesn't, it doesn't feel sexy to you anymore. That's a huge, like huge hell yes. I learned from like yes. my relationship before this, I dated like an incredible narcissist. And I learned from that relationship, a friend of mine at the end of that relationship, I was telling him about the situations and he said to me, wow, it really sounds like you've been painting a lot of red flags white. And I, yep, that was my response. Ooh, that is like the deepest truth. And I knew from that relationship, I will never let myself do that again, but I had to do this deep work of like, why am I letting, why did I let myself for one year be in a relationship with someone who I convinced myself was healthy enough to love me? Like, to not give me the love that I actually even thought I was getting. What was that part of me? And doing that work, and I, and I wanna add a tic-tac to what Emily was saying, is that sometimes we don't date because we think we need to do the work before we date. I don't think it's about being perfect before you start dating. I think it's about recognizing that we're probably never gonna be perfect, but that we're in process, right? So if we're in process on really doing the work and committing to do the work, then we'll attract somebody else who's in process and doing the work. If you attract somebody who isn't in process on doing the work, it is a hell no. It is a end of the road not happening. But if they're showing up and communicating they're doing the work, and here's the other thing I'd say about that too. Our words is how we communicate who we want to be. Our actions are how we communicate who we actually are capable of being right now. So when someone says to you that they're doing the work, and that's wonderful. That's a hell yes too. Right, that's a hell yes. Because we live in an age where this conversation, especially in certain circles and communities, is like very popular. So a lot of humans have learned to do this talk. A lot of humans have learned to come into these circles of wellness and have this conversation. And they're maybe not yet in a place where they're actually implementing the actual work. And so if you start dating someone, it's wonderful that they're doing the work and they say they're doing the work, but like give it time so that you actually can witness that their activity is exemplifying that they're actually doing that work. Does that make sense? Before you attach yourself to them. Yeah. I, I had to take, when I did that, I had to take nine months off of dating completely out of a bad relationship. Like, I'm so fucked up, I can't date right now. And this is about eight years ago, and I need to take nine months where I do not flirt, I do not have sex, I do not create intrigue, I just, I'm... The, the idea is for me to find out who I truly am. The way my teacher described it was, you know, let go of your identity so that you can find out who you truly are. And that's the practice that I had to do for many months and it was excruciating and incredibly liberating. Then when I thought like, okay, I'm about 70 or 80% processed, I'm ready. And then I got in a relationship and all fucking hell broke loose because no, the, the spiritual battleground is relationship, the trigger moment. That's when you find out really where you are. And so for me, it's, it's an ongoing process of taking, taking some time alone to really create a relationship with myself and then bringing that 
upgraded version of myself to the relationship and then working with that. And we make it sound easy. It, it's, not, it's the hardest work you're going to do is the work in relationship. Can I pinch in on that really quick? <laughs> it's huge. The purpose of relationship, it matters. If we're talking relationship, we have to talk about what, what's the purpose? Why are we doing this Oh, wait, thing? that's my next question. Oh, great. <laughs> what do you each see the point of a relationship? Go ahead, Ryan. So, you know, the purpose of relationship that we've really adapted as a society is this thing that makes us comfortable, that gives us safety and comfort and community. Um, and while that's beautiful and while that's true and while that's an aspect of relationship, it's not a purpose that actually serves the health of the relationship to see that that's what it's for. Right? Because if that's what it's for, then anytime anything's a little rocky, a little shaky, I'm measuring the rocky shakiness up against what I think the relationship's for. But if I start with the purpose of relationship, which is, this is a line from A Course in Miracles, which is a metaphysical text, says the purpose of relationship is for the healing of both people. It also says that healing happens by a sort of a detox process, where we actually have to look at the toxicity that has, that whether it's ancestral, whether it's tra trauma from our childhood, uh, insane thinking that we've gathered from our society, that we actually have to detox that stuff, and we do so in this mirror called a relationship. So I wanna r remind myself consistently that when my partner and I are getting into it a little bit, I have to remind myself this is the purpose of my relationship. This is how I heal, this is how we heal. And then that way I hold it in a sacred container, right? That doesn't mean I let myself be in an abusive relationship in the name of healing, right? We all know the difference there, okay. Buddhism would call it polishing the mirror, mm -hmm. right? Like you're polishing the mirror through another, but yeah, that's beautiful. Do, what do you, and do you guys agree for what the point of a relationship is? Do you guys have the same point of view? He healing, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, <clears throat> The point of relationship is, I, I would also agree, the, well, the point of a conscious relationship is healing. Most of us are not entering into con relationships consciously. We're entering it into, with the impulse of security, like Ryan was talking about. How do I get safe? How do I find the man of my dreams and hold on to him forever? How do I find a woman who's going to give me the energy that I want or a partner that's going to you know, make me happy to be alive, right? How do I do all that? And so we're entering relationship from the place, it's very simple, and we've heard this a hundred times, of what am I getting out of this security normally, um, and versus, you know, what can I give? So the purpose to me, uh, the, just to, what I would add on that is that the purpose for me is how can I become the best version of myself? which is basically what Ryan was saying. How can I become the best version of myself? And I love this commitment of we're going to be a, a, a source of healing for each other. Just to have two people sit in front of each other and make that commitment is a huge fucking step. I'm going to be a source of healing for you. I'm taking on your childhood, your family lineage, all the stuff in society, and I'm going to be a stand for your healing. And then that becomes a North Star that I can keep coming back to. You know? Emily? Oh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> ideally, no, I think that to be in a healthy relationship, it's amazing when you make each other best versions of yourself. When you're with someone and you're like, I celebrate you and all of your strengths and weaknesses and, you, and you're growing and learning and changing together is the most beautiful thing in relationships. I think they always say, like, when you die on your deathbed, you're not like, why wasn't I working more? It's about the people you loved and how you love most. Whatever kind of, whatever kind of relationships you're in. 
And so I think that this journey of, of relationships is really about life, like learning to love and all of our relationships, you know, whether it's for, what is it, an hour, a minute, what's the, the saying, like for a day, a season, a lifetime or a season, people come into your life. And you could look at people in your life and say, like, that's, because I think people often look at relationships like failures, but I think everyone can come, they do come into your life for a reason if you choose to like learn that lesson. The, the challenge with the relationships though is if I ask other people, Oftentimes, the answer is, I'm going into a relationship because I want to feel more loved, or I'm afraid to be alone, or I need more security, or it's what society said that I can't, you know, I can't be alone. So I think that to circle back on what John said about the work that you can do, like, I think it is so important to, because I've had the same experience where I've get into relationships, and then I get out, and that's where, like, amazing work happens. So next time I step up, I'm a little bit more healed, and then you head into that relationship, and then you got to take, you know, if it ends, let's say, or you're moving, or transitions to work on yourself. So I think the ultimate goal, the healthiest relationships, whether they're friendships or romantic or otherwise, are the ones when you feel the most nourished, the most supported. When you leave that person, you feel better, not worse. You know, people show you who they are, believe them, and to... You know, for love. I guess people who accept us, the, when we can share our greatest darkness and someone sees our light, you know, I think those are the, the people you want to surround yourself with. But I think it's a journey for us finding the ones that don't really serve us because <laughs> they feel like our parents or something that wasn't healthy. And then eventually we all get, hopefully we'll get to the place where we Well, find on that, that note, and I want to start with Ryan and feel free to jump in. Um, you're in this relationship. It's healing. You're doing the work. That's part of it is learning and growing. What's the tipping point? When is when are you working too much? How do you know? When do you know when the exit should happen? Just kind of like you were saying, do we know the difference of abusive? Some people don't. And how do you? And it might not even be abusive. How do you know when it's not right for you anymore? When we're saying, no, being in it and doing the work is actually a good thing. Because we all have this misconception sometimes. It should be really easy. Nobody should ever have a disagreement. But what we're hearing here, which I love, is no, no, the meat of this shit is actually how we're all growing as human beings. But then when do you know that there's too much meat? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think it's a, it's a situ situation by situation situation. Um, <laughs> depends on the scenario. I would say um, get help. That relationships are not easy. Uh, they're really challenging. And anything we do in anything in the world, in our lives, in our careers, with our health, we get help with that. We seek the guidance of people who have tools that can help us move through those difficult moments. And so my partner and I see a couples therapist every week. We see, our, we see her separately and then we see her together. If you want somebody to hold you really fucking accountable, see a therapist separate and then together with your partner. Cause you know, you can't, you can no longer lie to the partner when your partner, well, I mean to the therapist when the, when your partner's in the room, because they're like, well, that ain't true. So for me, the one piece of advice I would say, so, you know, and we started seeing a therapist six months into our relationship, not because everything was exploding, actually because everything was going really well, and we wanted, we had both been in enough relationships in the past to realize that with our best efforts in past relationships, things still went sour. Right? Maybe they weren't the right partner or maybe we weren't ready to be in healthy relationship yet or long-term relationship yet. But we, early on, it was like one of our first dates, we talked about therapy and we realized that sooner rather than later, we wanted to seek the help of guidance in our relationship. So I think, to get back to your question, um, seek the help of somebody who's professionally trained to work with you in that moment who can bring out of you you know, maybe is this maybe this is the end. 
so that you can come to that situ that understanding in a self-assured way. Yeah, I mean, in some, you know, and I don't know either, <laughs> but one of the things, you know, in, in Imago therapy, for example, the it's nearing the end is just the beginning. Right, that's actually when you have a that's true I'm saying. breakthrough. It's confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. And 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 the problem is, though, I think one of the things that Ryan said I think is great is, you know, couples will come to me when the boat is about to sink and say, "Fix it." Well, by that time, you have what two, three, ten, twenty years of bad habits, and so part of starting habits of reacting. She says this, or he says this, and I do that, and it's a it, they're so ingrained in your nervous system. That you, you you know undoing that is a fucking monumental you know experience. So I would give the same advice: start early in your relationship to create really good habits of communication, really good habits of sexual communication, really good habits of of connection, really good habits of listening. And because otherwise, you know, you're up against uh, you know your family lineage, your childhood trauma you know, a lot of pressures in society and, and creating those habits early, I think is a really crucial, I, if, if I was gonna give a practical piece of advice, it would be start creating good habits, no matter where you are in your relationship, but early is obviously the best, yeah. Sorry for the interruption. I want to talk about the next Den Talks Live. So if you haven't been to one, please come. It's going to be Thursday, March 14th at 7.30 p.m. at our La Brea location. We have Nick Vile. Most people know him as The Bachelor. He's been on Bachelor in Paradise. He's been on The Bachelorette. And then, of course, The Bachelor himself. But he's also a guy who's been struggling with anxiety. And in order to combat that, started using essential oils. He's now the co-founder of Natural Habits, which is an essential oil company. We get into all of that, what it's like to have anxiety. Imagine having anxiety and being on a show like that. We are going to talk about it all. Again, like always, there's a Q&A, a chance to socialize at the end of it, and I'm sure we will have some fun giveaways. So please come. Go to denmeditation.com or dentalkspodcast.com. Reserve your spot. Again, it's Thursday, March 14th at 7.30 p.m. See you there. you guys just a quick note because we do get asked all the time what are other things we can do we have so many certifications so if you're in the area and want to come and do some live you should really check out our certifications we have our big one that is a 400 hour teacher training certification that is incredible not only if you don't want to be a teacher but if you just want to go deeper in your meditation practice where you learn about all lineages we have all the reikis one two three and master we do intuitive healing which is a longer program about learning how to read people intuitively and do readings we also have an animal communications and a self-compassion so many. My point is, check it out. There's ways to dig deeper into your practice. There's ways to get certifications. Go to denmeditation.com and take a look. Um, Emily, how tall? Emily, um, how important is chemistry? Because from a lot for sex and for a relationship. Because a lot of what we're talking about here is this growth you can do, and the more you get to know each other. So I feel like we've all fallen in this boat of like, ah, eh, there's just no chemistry or. And we know like bad sex does not necessarily mean every time is going to be bad. That can grow. But talk about like the actual essence of chemistry. I mean, I think it's important. I think we can all say, yes, if I don't have chemistry with this person, you know, I'm out. So I think that initial attraction or that lust phase 
is an important part of, you know, it connects us to someone, but it's not always the best people because the problem is you have all these chemicals in our bodies that take over when we think we're feeling this amazing chemistry. And sometimes it's just that. It's someone new. It's novel. It's exciting. It's different. And those are the red flags painting over white because you're like, I feel like when you're in that lusty phase of the excitement of the newness and chemistry, it's like you can't see the red flags waving in the distance. Like love is blind. It's because of that. Like you're not seeing all the problems with it. So... I think you can, so yes, I think it exists, but the problem is, is that we don't really understand it. Because what happens typically is when we feel the best chemistry is when it's like the honeymoon phase or like those six months to two years in every relationship when everything's like amazing because your brain, the dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, we're just so bonded and connected. And what happens is that takes a nosedive. Hopefully you get it for longer, but usually it's six, you know, six months is awesome. You know, Two years is the best, the longer you get it less. But what happens is the problem I see most is then it goes away. And then couples are like, I don't know what to do. We, they always want to know how to get back. How do we get back? And the reason why we don't understand it is because we never talked about it in the beginning. So you're, you're both, we, I go on a therapy on the second date. I don't care. I think the sooner you do it, the awesome. <laughs> Bring them on your first date. If there's one takeaway tonight, it's that. No, like I believe in therapy all day, every day. But it's like you don't see it. So then when sex goes bad or relationships, since, well, let's talk about sex in general. So the chemistry's gone. You no longer want to rip each other's clothes off. We don't talk about it because ultimately we feel it's our, like for a lot of women, we feel rejected. We're broken. It's our fault. We need to fix it on our own. And then guys are like, well... You know, I guess that she's not into me, or maybe I'm not getting what I want from her anymore. She want, so it becomes this whole thing that we don't understand, and we think that it should be this magical rainbow, and you, chemistry and sex should always be amazing, and relationships shouldn't take work. And it's like, that's when you really... So the earlier you start understanding that that stuff isn't real, while it feels great, you can create your own sexual energy, which John talks a lot about, I'm sure, with somebody that you might not have previously had it with, or you could even enhance what you thought you once had, that honeymoon phase, you're like, I don't even need that anymore because there's a whole new level. Whole new level of what's happening in the present that is this amazing chemistry, electric yeah. connection. Devo that comes I, I from think the energy. I would, I would say that I, what I've seen is that devotion and worship create chemistry, right? I would also say sexual polarity, right? But, but that's not always true. But the ability to be devotional to somebody does a lot to turn them on, right? Even for a guy? Because I know for a girl, I feel like we tend to want that emotional Absolute, security, but for a guy too. For me, for me personally, and I work with a lot of men, feeling the devotion of, of the partner that loves you and would do anything for you and has your back, and like it's a, that it's a, a deep devotion, right? That, that's pretty fucking sexy. That's explain sexy, that ride or die. Like, I'm like, I'm so your, I mean, explain the devotion. Explain What's devotion. Like, explain I think devotion. Like, what do you mean by devotion? Like, how does that look? Like, because I think people could think, well, I'm devoted. We got married to my husband. Well, I'm there. Most of I made dinner. Wrong. Most of them are wrong. I know they yeah, are. So, That's why I'm asking yeah, you so to explain it. Yeah, so most of them are it. bullshit, like Ryan's talking about. So devotion is, oh, I mean, uh, I, we, we can talk about it real practically. I'm not talking shit about my partner outside the relationship. I am actually celebrating them as a human being. Right? And we've all talked shit about our partners. I've done it too, right? We've all done it. Um, and I'm not leaking sexual energy outside the relationship unless we have a very specific agreement that that's cool. And that kind of devotion is actually felt in the relationship and creates a sexual, creates a kind of, it's, it's an energetic thing. And, and I've just seen it enough now to know that it's real. <laughs> that that kind of, I'm, 
I'm his, I'm hers, and they can feel it in the depth of your heart, that is a very, very beautiful and sexy piece. Not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's fucking hard. It's the hardest thing we're going to do, but it's sexy. I think when it comes to sex, too, when you're talking about like after that honeymoon period, um, a lot of people are ashamed of the things that they actually like. And I'm yeah. sure you can talk about this a lot more because you get phone calls from people all the time. But like, we're ashamed to actually talk about the things that we like. And so having some kind of an opening conversation with our partner, again, this is where therapy is so great because they'll create the container and you don't want to talk about it. And our therapist is like, okay, let's talk about sex. How much are you having it? How's it going? And we're like, uh, okay, we really have to deal with this, right? And it's, and it's a challenge. It's certainly a challenge. So I think that's really important to have a dialogue about like, what do you like? What turns you on? What's, what do you fantasize about? How can I do that with you? How can I do that for you? Um, but how, you know, it's hard to facilitate that conversation. I, I like it after sex. I'm a, here's what I loved about that. Wow, when you did this, it it's was like fucking It's like a debrief. Hot. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the debrief. I'm a big fan. When you did, I mean, 10 things you loved and the one thing you might have wanted more of, right? I would have wanted yeah. more like wolf from you, right? I, but I loved this and when you looked at me and did that and the way you moaned and the thing you did in my ear and the look through in your eyes and, and then your partner can bookmark that because I believe that we want to love each other well, right? And, and, and getting that information after sex, not during, not right. during, not during, <laughs> after sex is really important and that, and that helps, that, that keeps the line of communication and it keeps getting it from getting weird. There. Um, yeah. Can I ask a question about that? You said 10 things you love and one thing you wish you had more of. Do you ever say things you didn't like? It's much, it goes, I mean, it goes down much better if you frame it as I would have liked a softer touch or I would have liked, I would have liked, it's hard to argue. Yeah. Right? I would have liked, it's really hard yeah. to argue. So. I would have liked a softer touch or more sound or this or that. And, and after it comes with, you know, five or six or ten things that you thought were beautiful and that opened your heart and they can feel it, it's pretty easy to accept that one thing that they would have wanted more of. Well, I agree that couples should definitely talk about sex. I love the play-by-play. -play. It's like my favorite because then you're getting into it. It becomes a thing and you're like, wow, this was great, that wasn't. But I, I think sex conversations, my only disagreement is outside the bedroom. Because I, my only thing is because in the moment, unless it was all the positive, but, but you know how it is. They're like, someone could tell you, you go to your review, your boss tells you 10 things, and the one thing that you don't work on, you're like, oh my God, what I do? I, so this is what happens with sex, because it can be so difficult for people to hear it, and not in, if you're super evolved and with someone who loves you and gets it, but the, I guess the people I'm talking to a lot are like, they just heard one thing once from their partner. Like someone called me the other day and she said, my partner said that he really liked the way I was being erotic last night and we've been together 20 years and I've never been erotic. Do you think that I, he thinks, do you think that he's having an affair? Like, I was like, what? She's like, but he, he wanted this more, this thing for me that was more, you know I'm just saying? That we twist it when sex, when we're not as evolved and we're not as familiar with talking about it. So I love everything about talking about it, but I think the best time is uh, when you're outside, when you're chilling outside the room and you can just be like, this is what I loved about it and it felt so good and it would be so great if next time, the way you kissed my ear, if we could do more of that. Yeah, I, I've actually seen the opposite. Like I've seen that when there's love flowing, 
Well, right? when they're healthy, and, and their when they're John Wyland kind of relationship, but most people are. That's the only kind I know. I'm I know, not running. See, that's I'm what I'm running. saying. I love a sexual yeah. spar. I'm yeah. not yeah. saying John's not doing it right, and yeah. I would love to. Yeah. I feel like I've dabbled in that healthy space. Yeah. Um, but I think for most people, yeah, yeah. But for a lot of people, I just see it become like a. That's all they can think about was that one negative thing that's in the bedroom. So it's well, more like you definitely put want. your big boy or big no, girl pants on. Yeah, pants. yeah. I mean, there's got to be if if somebody no. is telling you, if your partner is telling you all of this stuff they loved, and they said, "Hey, I, I would want more of this," and it collapses you for a week, then you probably have some work. Yeah, to do. and that's yeah. every single couple, and it happens once, <laughs> and it could be one time, like 15 years ago, her partner said. Said, like I don't like like um I don't like the way you get blowjobs and then she's had this fear of oral for like ten and she calls in or I see her oh one time he told me and we get latched onto it so it sticks so wait let's talk about this for a second because this goes back to this one of the first things we were talking we're about locked and afraid of just being ourselves well this goes back to one of the first things when I was talking about receiving and how some people have trouble receiving and I don't mean oral or any of that just hearing things. So I feel like we have to make sexual puns do. this whole night, right? Some I mean, I got to just go for it. But like, so talk about that a little bit because you're both saying the same thing. Yeah, you're just absolutely. saying you're dealing with people who don't have their big girl. They big don't boy even pants have the on. big girl. Like it's like it's like not even big girl. Like her pants fell off. She feels naked, afraid. She but, never wants to have sex with them again. But what she are things they can fat. do to get yeah. their big girl and big boy so, pants on? Well, that's, I mean, look, and I'm not talking for every single human being, but in the relationships I've seen, there's a, there's a formula that tends to work well, which is praise, praise, praise. Praise, if, if all you did was leave here and spend 90% of the time praising your partner, your relationship would elevate. So I totally agree that praise is, is a lubricant and praising, so the difference between praise and worship is praise is I'm going to praise you. That's me talking about you as a human being. Worship is me seeing and, and, and literally offering the best I have to the deepest part of you. Now, that is a spiritual practice, and, and you know that's not most of the people, but we're in a space where that's probably practiced. And, and so, yeah, I, I tend to think that people do well when they're praised, when the culture in the relationship is one of praise, one or two, and I imagine in most of the relationships you're talking to, there's not much praise. So right. I think Emily's right that if there's no praise in the relationship and the culture of the relationship is one of complaint, adding any complaint will collapse it. Mm -hmm. So give it a shit ton of praise. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's a common ground we can find on there. Praise and then, is huge. Compliments, yeah. praise that it is such a it's a fuel. It truly is in a relationship. I. I'm telling you, we, we can't hear it enough. We can't use it. it. It is like I always used to call it affirmation nuggets. Like, just do it all day, every day. That, and even in your mind, like, even if you realize you've gotten to this neg negative spiral with your partner, it's really great to remember, like, for a week, I'm just going to, even if I'm thinking it, and then hopefully you can learn to say it, all the things that I really appreciate and love and, and, and worship about my partner, because there are those things. But when we get in the place of contempt and criticism, it's hard to get back and remember what they are. So if you give yourself that challenge, even for a week, I'm just not gonna, I'm just, it's okay they didn't, it's okay they left their socks out, but man, like, I'm so glad you remember to get the orange juice or whatever. I mean, wait, like literally, if sometimes it starts with these things where you're like, I can't even find any of the good, but like everything in life, the more we celebrate on, you know, what's up, our gifts, our praises, the things we love about our person, you actually will see that comes back to you. And Absolutely. Just, yeah. And I think just one quick little thing is like, don't expect the conversation to go well. It's like be okay if you if you make this comment with the best of intention and your partner doesn't respond how you want them to respond. That 
probably is going to happen. And that's probably gonna happen a lot, but it's like stay in the room, stay in the conversation, and maybe over time we'll get better at it. But like, I, I did this event here the other night with Nicole Sachs, who's amazing, and she said pretty much how I operate my life, I just expect everything to like be kind of shit all the time, <laughs> so that then when it's not, it's really great. And she wasn't saying I'm like attract, attracting shit in my life, but she was just saying like, just be okay if it doesn't go well. Mm -hmm. Like just don't, instead of having this whole nervous system response, like it's probably not gonna go well especially at first, as you're like rehearsing this stuff. And you'll get better with it over time. And then you can be more supportive to your partner as they're spiraling and not wearing their big boy, big girl pants. Um, question, because we're talking about sex and you're talking about after sex, the debrief, which I love, what you liked. What, do you, what can people do who might not be as in touch with what they like? How can people get in touch with what they like in bed? How, whether they're fighting past trauma, they're ashamed of what they might like, or might just not have a clue. What are things to do to get more in touch with that? Anyone want to jump on? Sexwithemily.com. No. Sexwithemily. Let's start with them. Yeah, I mean, I, the most important thing is, I mean, is to spend time self-love, masturbate, figure out what actually feels good to you. I think for a lot of women... Personally, I was, I was, I would say I was raised. It was like, my mom was like, Emily, this is, give this to men. And this, but I mean, what was belief was that I, my um, sexual pleasure and would, would come from a man and it was all about fulfilling him and his needs. And so I think that there's a way that, that women have to remember that like, no, I used to think like someday my prince will come and so will I. Like, he's going to ride up on this horse and that's how I'm going to know what makes me feel good. And then I was like, oh no, I actually have to get in there, masturbate figure out what I want, or maybe I already know. However you get there, and then, as women, we have to feel comfortable actually telling that to a partner. And men, same thing, like, you know what you like, but we're, the reason why we don't, so that's the first journey. And I often have to remind women, like, you gotta put the time in, masturbate. I don't have to remind men as much. That's a different thing. I'm like, you're, you're on the bus, like, you're doing it now. Do you need to do it now? But for women, I'm like, because we get so disconnected from our bodies, and we expect it's going to come from elsewhere. So for me, that's like a big part of it. And then also talking about, like, once we know, the big part is communicating to our partner, and we are so afraid to ask for what we want because we're afraid of, be, of, of rejection, of shame, of trauma. We have no models of people ever talking about it before, and all we can think is, I'm going to be shamed just like I was the first time I talked about her, my parent caught me masturbating. Like we have all these things that we don't even know where they come from around sex. It doesn't feel safe until you're in a healthy place to actually talk about these things. And then when you're both in a great place, you're like, this is what I'm into. What are you into? Let's negotiate, figure it out. Like that's so much fun when you're in a healthy place. You're like, what turns you on? Yeah. I think best. I think that there's a our relationship to pleasure. And Again, this is a yoga, and meaning that it's something that you can practice, like piano or guitar or yoga or anything. It's it's and especially for women, having a daily pleasure practice where you move in a way that feels pleasurable, where you touch yourself in a way that feels pleasurable, where you where you dance in a way that makes you feel good. Having a pleasure practice helps kind of unkink the body. Pleasure practice. Yeah. A pleasure practice. Mindful masturbation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also, I would make it the whole body. Yeah, move, uh, yeah, yeah, dancing, moving, dancing, whatever breathing. feels good. Baths, yeah. shit, just taking a bath and having a glass of wine. If it feels good, that's good feminine practice. <laughs> it might seem say we always say go home. There's like, agreement take a in the bath. Yeah. Like, use your bath bath yeah. salts. Have a glass of wine. But yeah. there's a reason for it because as women, many of you are, I hear this all. We're disconnected. Like we don't we. 
for men, it's a little bit different how you get aroused and get turned on. But for women, sometimes we just, we get busy, we're stressed, we're anxious, we forget this part of us even exists. So to do things that are pampering and nurturing and loving of yourself. And like that is where the self-love comes from because the more you understand like how your body works and orgasm is healing and then you're like, I see a lot of women it helps with self-confidence and body, body image because once you get into it, you're like, my body's pretty amazing. Like you look in the mirror and you're like, look how hot it is when I've turned on. And I mean, that's a practice. And then you're like, oh, and then that helps you confidence when you're actually with a lover and you're like, I know how I want to move and what I need. And you're more open to energy. You're out of your head and you're in your body. Which I'll say too sex, about the baths. In, yeah. So when I <laughs> when I work with a coaching client, like the non-negotiable thing that everyone I work with has to do is they have to take a bath when they're finished with work before they begin their evening, mm. because we're so whether no matter your gender, we're so in our masculine energy, doing, thinking, mm. creating, taking care of, whatever, checking things off a to-do mm. list, all the time, right? And in relationship, there is polarity. There's the masculine and the feminine. And if we're not in a state of receptivity, because we're in our masculine, we're in this doing energy all the time, well then, what's, where is there space to be entered? Emotionally, spiritually, in our relationship, through our communication. And just taking a bath for 20 minutes, it'll switch your energy from this kind of doing, thinking, creating, to this state of being able to receive. Right, and just that simple practice, if you take nothing else away, is mm. mind-blowingly powerful <laughs> in relationship. Are you meditating at the end of the day, like yeah. to get separate the work from home or the, the transition. Yeah. I, also, bathtub, that's I right. also like what you said. You mentioned the pain body practice, and I think that part of the reason why we don't feel more pleasure is because we're not actually allowing ourselves to feel pain either. Huh. We're numb. We're we're numb. And, and so the, the practice that Tolle gives in that book is a, is a practice I use a lot, and I, I've added my own sauce to it, but this idea of feeling what's true in your body fully. In Tantra, they talk about what we touch fully will dissolve, right? But what we touch, what we touch fully then makes our entire body more receptive to pleasure. So if you're holding grief that you haven't fully felt, if you're holding pain you haven't fully felt, Creating a container or a daily practice where you actually, especially especially for women, because women are, are, this is the first time in history women, in the last 50 years, women have had to take on a masculine body-mind in order to dot, 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 right? And that is a very, that's a very constrictive thing when evolutionarily that hasn't happened. I mean, just the last 50 years, that's really happened. So being able to feel the emotions that you've been holding will make you more receptive to pleasurable emotions. Also more love, you'll be able to conduct more love through your body. You can't just conduct love through your body but then shut down pain or grief or sadness or any of that. It, it, it's, the channels are the same fucking channels and you've gotta open them all. But then how do, you, how do people overcome that are so afraid of feeling the pain and feeling the sadness and the grief? Read the book The Tools by Phil Stutz and Barry Mickles. That's like the the like, and Eckhart Tolle's work is amazing, yeah. Yeah. but in this book they go into like real practical practices. Mm. One of the ways is when you're feeling an overwhelming emotion, one way you know that you're feeling an overwhelming emotion, if you're not really feeling it, is like your head's going really, really crazy yeah. and you're thinking all these thoughts and you're going down a rabbit hole, probably because there's a big emotional impulse that's happening that you don't actually wanna feel. And so the first practice that they share in this book is they call it, um, the reversal of desire. So instead of desiring comfort in that moment, which comes from not feeling our, com not feeling our feelings, mm -hmm. they actually say to open up your arms 
and take a deep breath and say to yourself, I'm willing to feel what I don't want to feel. I'm willing to feel the pain. I'm willing to bring, they literally are like, say, just say out loud, bring it on. Bring it on, bring mm. on the pain. And you actually train your nervous system in that moment to learn to accept, to receive, to let yourself feel that pain that the nervous system before actually saw as a threat, which is why we distract with our addictions and we go and do however we distract, right? We see that pain as a threat. Instead, we can retrain our nervous system to actually open ourselves to feel it, which again is why the baths are really mm. practice, practical as well. Yeah. Because when you're in a bath, you're not like distracted on your phone. You're not like jumping out to, you know, write something down on your computer. You're in the water. It's reminding you to be there. Things will probably come up. You may cry. You may, you know, you may have some emotional. It's okay. It's like there's a lot of stuff in there that has to come up and come out. Here's a random question. In today's day and age, I feel like there's so much about manifesting and you hear a lot about like manifesting your man or your woman and mood board your man or your woman. A lot of what you guys are talking about in doing the work and being present, is there a danger to that practice? I think so. If you aren't doing the deep work that Ryan just described, if you aren't doing the deep inner work and you mood, you can mood board till the cows come home <laughs> and you will attract somebody who fits your mood board but has not done the deep inner work to the level that you have not done the deep inner work. And my, my suggestion to people is let them appear. I mean, unless you're living in a cave, right? You, you know, especially where we're living, if you do the work to, you know, to own your, to love yourself, to open your body, to train your nervous system, to be real, to, you know, to be conscious and loving, right? People will find you. It is attractive. We are dying to be around more conscious and loving people. And the more that you can, and as an individual, in your individual practice, make that who you are so that anybody who walks in a room will feel that, the more attractive you will become and you will be attracting people at, you know, who match the level of depth that you've cultivated in your daily practices. So I actually, I'm actually delete the fucking apps and do the work first and then kind of see what manifests because that's the, de the deepest manifestation is from how you're being, hmm. not what you write in a journal or not what you, not that you shouldn't do that, not that you shouldn't speak into the world what you want to create. I absolutely agree with that. But if you haven't really started to do some deep, chunky work on yourself, you're going to keep attracting the same scenario. I think it's important to, yeah, definitely know what you want in a partner. And it is true, like, be the person you want to find. Like, if you keep thinking, like, you write all these things down, like, I want this person to be whatever, everything that you're, like, it's usually things that we want ourselves. So they're like a provider or they're strong or they make us laugh and it's maybe things that are, you can find that out in the world. But that, that seems like that doesn't really maybe reflect who you are. But if you're doing your work, the more that you realize what your values are, what, you, what, what your non-negotiables, like I need someone, when I meet this person, I want to feel a certain way. Like when you really do that kind of work around your manifesting, your list or your mood board in an authentic way that it's not a superficial, it's more like, I've done the work to know that I deserve to be loved in this way and this is how I want it to feel and these are my values and I think if if you're not already vibrating at a higher level where everyone's going to be coming at you or you're actually even it's still a new practice for you when you commit to what true values are important to you and what's going to feel right that can 
help the process because then, like I said, those people that used to be attractive to you or were attracted to you just won't show up. You won't see them. It won't be interesting because you move to another place, another level of vibration, if you will. Vibration. So in all of your guys' work, and you've worked with so many people, what have you seen has been the biggest relationship ender that you actually don't think was necessary? Do you know what I mean? Like, what are people coming to you that always kind of ends the relationship that you know does not necessarily have to be a relationship ender? Um, two things. <laughs> okay. Contempt, which has already been proven, right? There's been a lot of studies of contempt, um, which is a habit, right? Of just a muscle that's been cultivated versus empathy, which is normally a muscle that hasn't been cultivated. And infidelity. I think infidelity is a great opportunity to really take a good look at how you've been showing up and also what was missing in the relationship. And I, I kind of buy what Esther Perel is, is talking about there, that there is a, a, a really great opportunity when, when there's some kind of betrayal happening in a relationship. Let's talk about that a little more because you and I actually started to talk about it a little bit on our episode together because I do think it's really important to talk about because I feel like obviously people get so angry right away and it's just like I'm done no more they walk out relationships over so let's open it up a little bit about what those opportunities are what it takes like the generosity like we talked the generosity it takes on one side to actually get there but the possibilities that can actually evolve from that who wants to take a go yeah I mean I think that people often say oh god if anyone ever cheated on me there's infidelity I'm out of there like they're a terror if it happens everyone's like oh she said, I can't believe she cheated on him. We're done with her. We're cutting it off. We make all these decisions around things. But the truth is, when, when, when trust is broken in a relationship, it's really hard to rebuild. It's not like you just snap your fingers. You have, that's when the work really needs to come in. You often need a great therapist and someone to work with a couple. But if they're willing to rebuild it and truly do the work, because rebuilding trust is some of the hardest things. Like, you just keep looking on every angle. There's another reason to be jealous again. But once you do, if you guys can get into it, relationships can, you know, truly be healed in that way. Again, if both people want to do the work. So sometimes a fidelity cheating can be a great place for regrowth, and sometimes it's just, you realize it's just... Yeah, both people to have it. to want to do the both work. Both people have yeah, to want to do it. For sure. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is for a lot of times, the, the challenge, people just end it, but the people who are just like, I'm done, he cheated, I'm out, is that they often then just end up not looking at themselves at all. So like, well, the relationship was over and my 10 years with this person, it's all his fault or her fault. I have no part in it. And then they really lose an opportunity to grow. And I think that's a problem too. People just cut it off when you could look and they just like, well, that was a great excuse. This person, another man wounded me or another woman, you know, and that becomes part of your story rather than going, okay, maybe there was, I do have a part in this. I was 50% of the relationship. It's a chance to change your story. Yeah. It's a chance to like to take that because you see that yeah. a lot and literally change your relationship yeah. karma. Which is, yeah. I, I can speak just from personal experience. I re remember a moment when my partner, who I was with for three years and we lived together, sat across the couch from me and told me that he had been sleeping with someone else. And in that moment, I ended it instantly. I was like, "Pack up your shit, get out of my house," which was absolutely what needed to happen for that relationship in that moment. That being said, on the other side of that, I walked out. It was actually like an amazing experience because I was going to a meeting at our friend Marion Williamson's house, just name drop. <clears throat> and the she person who answered the name door <laughs> was Catherine Woodward Thomas, who's like the woman who wrote Conscious Uncoupling. So like I just found out I was being cheated on and then like these two angelic, matronly, amazing women were just like holding me in that moment. And they, 
they, with so much love, said, I'm so sorry. And my immediate, that, you know, that, that something like, you know, that, that's so terrible that that happened. And, you know, friends would speak to me and say, you know, what an asshole. I can't believe he did that. And I, my immediate response was, yeah, while that's a dick move, I have to right now look at what my part in that was. I have to look at where I wasn't showing up, where I wasn't communicating, where I wasn't serving, where I wasn't being intimate, like where I wasn't showing up for my part that he looked for it elsewhere. Not in a, I'm going to beat myself up for it, but in a, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to grow from this and I'm going to stay more engaged in my future relationships and put that work in so that this hopefully doesn't have to happen again. And that was a huge learning, growing experience for me. And that being said, it was time for that relationship to end. It, it was time. No, I mean, what you guys are all saying is take a little bit taking the personal out of something that feels really personal and looking at the global of what's happening in the relationship. Both. I think both have to happen. I think that, that you ha it's a great opportunity for you to do all, to feel all the things that you would feel when somebody betrayed you and reveal those, that's very hard to stay open, stay open, stay open, and also take an inventory of why, why would they do that? And of course, are, are they doing that because they're innately dickish and they're just not going to change? Or are, are, is there something, are they essentially a good person and there was something that they weren't getting fed? Because I probably withheld that same nutrient in past relationships. And if we're gonna come back together and explore this, are they or both partners really genuinely interested in doing the work? Like, are they really gonna show up for that work? And that's where I say again, it's not just about the words, it's about the actions. Okay, so best sex you've ever had and why, each of you, go. <laughs> wow. Um, John's like, oh, thank God I'm last. <laughs> I mean, the memory that comes to mind is an experience that I had with my current partner where I just like took the fuck over and controlled the situation in a really dynamic way. Do you guys all feel the energy in here right now? <laughs> and I really felt like, I felt like this really powerful sexual energy that just like, you know, like it took us over. It wasn't like we were choosing where to go and what to, I used to be a professional dancer and that's how I used to feel when I was dancing. It was like something else takes over and is moving my body and that's how this felt. It was like every move, every look, every touch, every was like, in, it was this sexual force that was, and it was incredible and it was easy and it was, um, yeah, it was just like all the moment, it was just powerful and strong and beautiful. question I I can't say I don't like to just like if people are like what's the best trip you ever took I'm like must I choose like <laughs> I love Bali I love going to Argentina so to me I don't look they were all fabulous so I don't look at I'd like to think I haven't had the well, they best can't all sex have yet. been fabulous no they won't well, no I've had a lot of bad sex that's why I do what I do I was like enough with the bad not understanding sex so that's been my journey the last 14 years so I can tell you is that my is that for me the best sex that I have the most memorable sex I've had is when it's My when you're not as thinking of it's the most it's you're just connected with someone like there's this energy flowing that you're not thinking about anything like it's more and it's not usually the first person you know someone I just met or it's in a relationship where we just understand each other and we've 
covered some things and it's just like an energy flow where I couldn't even tell you why it was just connected and hot. And I wouldn't have known how to do that. I wouldn't even notice. And that doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, you know it. And I wouldn't have known it 15 years ago, what that was. I could tell you a lot of bad stuff. John? <laughs> yeah, I think the, uh, the, the most powerful experience I've had recently is um, where there was a deep trust. There was so much trust in our relationship that we went into this taboo material that was very um, f kind of forbidden material. And we trusted each other so much that we could go super deep into the taboo. And, and it wasn't just sexual, it was like, it was emotionally healing and it was emotional. It, it, it was sort of like you could feel nervous systems get rewired in the sex. It was so deep and so much trust and so wrong in all the right ways. And, uh, and yeah, that would be my, my favorite sexual moment. I love it. So now we're going to do our four U's. We're going to do them a little differently this time since we have four. I'm just going to ask one question just kind of like we just did, and I want the answer. So simplest, one piece of quick relationship advice. If you could say one thing, what would it be? Remember that the purpose of relationship is for healing, not just for comfort and joy and sex and intimacy. So the purpose is it's going to bring up your shit, and it's gonna refine you, it's gonna press up against you, it's gonna turn that coal into a diamond. My one thing, advice about relationships? One piece of relationship advice. Communication is a lubrication. Talk about your sex life, talk about your relationship all the time in a healthy way, it'll get better. And you'll figure out your groove and how to talk in a healthy way. There's a lot of different modalities, but the more you really face it and talk about it, the better it will be. I would say slow down. Slow down the way you talk, slow down the way you move, slow down your being with somebody um, because healing happens in the slow and you know feeling also happens in the slow. So just slowing everything down uh, would do wonders for your relationship. Thank you guys, you guys are amazing. I mean, how incredible are they? So open and honest and I love all of you. Just the chemistry and of you, you all alone is great. So we will do um, a closing meditation for Mr. John Wyland, and then after that we will have a Q&A, so obviously stick around, and then we will do the raffle, and then be out there and socialize and get to chat some more. Um, and so thank you all, anyone listening, please subscribe if you haven't already subscribed, and leave a review if you can, it really means a lot. Get into a comfortable position so that your spine can be relatively straight doesn't have, you don't have to be, you know, like a Zen monk, but find your way into a relatively straight spine. And like Ryan was talking about earlier, feel the, feel the weight of your body on the earth. It's a huge planet, feel gravity pulling you down. And I want you to start by finding a breath into your lower belly. So look, feel like your body's a vase where you've got this opening around the top and then a long tube that goes down and then a big round bottom that you fill with air. So they call it vase breathing in Tibet. Begin to take some deep breaths into this round base so your abdomen will fill up, the sides of your abdomen will fill up. The back of your abdomen will fill up. 
And then exhale it out slowly through the nose, in and out through the nose. We're just going to take a minute of vase breathing. So keep feeling the eyes should be closed. Keep feeling the air go through your nose, down this long, thin tube, and into this round base. And it should be, there might even be a little pressure on your hips or on your genitals because you're breathing so deeply and waking up that area of your body. Round abdomen. If a thought comes through, let it pass and keep focusing on the breath and bringing it as low into your abdomen as you can and round. And once you've found that groove, I want you to hold that breath, continually breathing deep into this round vase at the base of your abdomen. But I want you to start to feel out into, first into the space here, and then out into the city. But I want you to feel all the love that's happening in this moment. There are people making love. There are children hugging their parents. There are girls giggling boys playing with each other, people loving their pets. And literally bring your awareness to all of the love happening within 10 square miles of us. Keep feeling how much love is actually available for you to feel. Maybe people you know are loving each other right now. Maybe you're loving somebody at home. And feel all of the love now happening around the world in this moment. Don't worry if you can deeply connect to it. Just bringing your awareness to it. How many people are loving each other, kissing each other, hugging each other supporting each other, playing with each other, babies being born. It's massive if you really feel into it. Just take another 30 seconds to luxuriate in how much love is available to connect to in this moment. Continuing breathing as deeply as you can into your lower body. Feel somebody or something that you love deeply. And allow that beautiful sensation to connect between your heart and the base of your abdomen where you've been breathing. Literally feel the energetic tube between the base of your body, your womb if you're a woman, perineum if you're a man, and your heart, which should be a little bit more open. And allow these last three breaths to connect those two energetic spots, the base of your body, 
and your heart. And placing your right hand on your heart, take some of this love that you've cultivated and direct it towards an area of yourself where you've been hard on yourself, something that you wish you did better, something that you wish would change in you. And just in this moment, be with whatever that part of you is with unconditional friendliness, unconditional tenderness. Giving yourself a bow for the courage, generosity, and willingness you brought to tonight. And opening your eyes and joining us as we close. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also, wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.